NBA halftimes, corporate events, TV appearances, uh, big state fairs. We have a few guys at Cedar Point this summer. Essentially anyone who wants some sort of kind of like action sport type of entertainment. Hey everyone, welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today is Will Weiner. Will is the CEO of X Pogo, the sport and organization associated with extreme pogo sticking. Now, when I told Hannah leading into the interview that we are talking with someone in the realm of extreme pogo, she did not believe me, but you must believe me because over the next 30 minutes, we talk all about the events that they hold, their pogo palooza, their future strategy for building a sport, building a following, and earning revenue through the media that they produce, and a whole lot more, including Will's background into being the CEO from a background in management consulting. A little bit different off the beaten path, but they are located in Pittsburgh, like many of the other entrepreneurial ventures that we cover on this show. So I was excited to have him on the podcast to talk all about it. Here is Will Weiner. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, no, thanks, Aaron. This is uh, really exciting and uh, nice to get a chance to chat about some of the more, I guess, businessy side of this because a lot of times we talk about athletes and stuff, but I think we, we got a pretty funky world just in terms of how do you make a business to grow a sport? Exactly. And I, I do want to get into the business model, but for folks, particularly ones that are not watching on YouTube that are just listening, can you paint a picture with your words for what Expogo is, um, maybe a little bit of like just the back history of it as a sport and its origins? Yeah, no, totally. So Expogo, we maybe do a little bit too many things, but we were originally founded uh, back in 2011 with the goal of growing the sport of extreme pogo sticking, which is a thing. What does that really constitute? It's evolved, but it's normally these kind of souped up pogo sticks. Right now, all the pros will bounce on uh, air-powered pogo, so it's essentially like pneumatic, uh, so kind of like a big air shock, if you will, just about a five-foot pogo stick. So it lets you do things like flips, jump several feet in the air, and then there's all kinds of technical tricks around that. So, right, it was kind of this group, and we all love this thing, came together. It's like, okay, how do we grow it? What did that actually manifest as? Well, it started with this event called Pogapalooza, which has actually been going around since 2006, where we kind of started this world championships of Pogo with different disciplines and competitions. So it started producing this competition event, Pogapalooza. But on top of that, to really kind of grow and expand the sport, we got into a couple other things. So there's really three main uh, activity. So one, right, is this Pogapalooza competition. Two is making media. So very much in the way if you imagine skate videos, BMX videos, even where scootering is getting right now, um, putting together media where people push themselves to do new tricks. So go to specific locations, see an obstacle, do a trick over it, and trying to kind of grow the sport and progress the athletes through creating these pieces of media. Uh, the final portion, which ends up taking up a lot of our time now, is where we actually get the majority of the revenue, which is stunt shows and stunt performances, because, you know, until we really, really get a big audience, media is not the most lucrative, 
um, the competition is good, but in the same way, right, it's not a huge revenue earner at this point. But uh, what we found is there is a pretty good demand for just exciting stunts, especially because we are so novel at this point. So we have a wing we call the Expogo Stunt Team, and what they do is more or less all kinds of performances, so things like NBA halftimes, corporate events, TV appearances, uh, big state fairs. We have a few guys at Cedar Point this summer. Essentially anyone who wants some sort of kind of like action sport type of entertainment. Uh, so it deviates a little bit from the model, but in the same way, right, people are seeing Pogo, the guys are getting paid, and we're able to take some of that money and reinvest it into the other sport developing uh, aspects of the business. And so when we're talking about it as a sport, my mind goes to the arena of anyone that's watched the X Games is familiar with uh, competitions like the biggest trick where it'll be the absolute biggest jump or the kind of most, you know, daring death defying type of feat and uh, a judge's score is basically Mm -hmm. issued for that or uh kind of uh series where maybe there's a time constraint or a boundary constraint in which a series of tricks are done together someone could say you know like the big uh, half pipe that everyone's watched Mm -hmm. sean white do um or some of these other kind of skate park type of venues where you're putting the collection of performances together um is that basically how a sport like this is judging essentially yeah if you talk about pogopalooza there's four real disciplines there so the first one is high jump which is pretty self-explanatory we set up a bar who can go the highest ideally the goal is to break the world record which is right now at 11 feet two inches um Holy crap. so it's it's pretty wild the way these guys are boosting on these things so right that's one discipline is just who can go the highest over a bar and land with control best trick which again very much kind of from the x games is it's just do the single craziest biggest thing you can do so say like last year our best trick winner was something called a double stick flip um i can get you footage if you want but it's more or less you jump in the air and then have the pogo do two full rotations in front of you and then land with your feet back on it so you have to kind of have enough air time to allow it to swing twice so like that had never been done before and has never been done since but like that's an example of best trick and then exactly like you're saying the last one is a freestyle um which is very much kind of like street league or something that's park-based. So we will actually build a pogo obstacle course, if you will. You have 60 seconds to go put together as many different tricks as you can to use it creatively to go up and down, do different variety, and then you're kind of judged, right, by how many tricks you can do, how hard they are, how varied, how creative, how good it looks. And those are sort of the disciplines within the competition that people get graded on. I would say, too, what's kind of interesting with action sports, uh, similar to us and skate or whoever, is we have this competition, and that's kind of the judged part of the sport. And then there's the whole culture around making just videos of tricks and stuff like that, where no one really says, this is the best video. Like, sure, there's maybe lists or stuff like that, but so much of the discipline, too, for people is just being able to say, oh, hey, I see this big, tall stair set. I'm going to go flip down it. Or whatever, and like so much of the cred kind of within the internal culture comes from what you'll do in your video. And and that's really, you know, if you think back to the 2000s, maybe even before that with skateboarding or snowboarding, 
um, a collective or maybe a single um, athlete would put out their kind of tape. Exactly. And at that point, it was something that you would pay for. It was nine ninety nine or 15 right. or 20 bucks or whatever to get that, and you could watch it over and over again. But it was a series of different venues, a series of different tricks. There was, you know, musical editing and other kind of artistic creative choices. For sure. And there was really a, a, a business there. But I have to imagine that in this environment where um, – it's harder than ever to get people to pay and mass right. for a specific product. That doesn't seem like the easiest route to take, at least at this stage of the game. Definitely not. And it's something we've struggled with, frankly, where like in the perfect world, we would be famous. <laughs> we wouldn't be Tony Hawk, but like enough people would care that like Mountain Dew or something would give us money so we could just go around and pogo and make videos. Because I right. think that's what makes most... I would say of the pros, the most um, kind of fulfilled and just lets you push the sport. We still do it and we go and we make parts, but like, frankly, our YouTube, we've really been having trouble getting engagement. So last year, that was the, one of the main things we could do because, all right, we get COVID tests. We all sit together in a house. We go outside and we pogo. And we made, in my opinion, some of the best stuff we've ever made. Our views were not great. On the flip side, TikTok has been going really well for us because as you talk about how things have evolved, you know, and even if we were getting hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube, that's not that much money. Um, we are getting hundreds of thousands of views on TikTok, millions of views over a pretty quick time span. And again, we're not making crazy money there, but I see that as kind of what we do for that uh, area. So when we were doing these video shoots, it's essentially have someone always you know, doing the more cinematic angles for the parts for our own whatever fulfillment because that, you know, I think just keeps us going. But at the same time, have someone on a camera and film it tall yep. for Instagram reels and TikToks. And ideally, that's how we suck people in to get them to watch YouTube, to care about the sport. And I think it's a lot easier to go to a sponsor and say, hey, we got, you know, three million view TikToks in the past month give us some money, we'll put your product in one of those, then it is to say, you know, we got a couple thousand, 10,000 views on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, let's talk afterwards about this because I think even just with some of the thumbnails, there's probably a, a opportunity to have the YouTube perform even better just from what I'm seeing right off the bat here. That's kind of ad hoc. But let me ask also about, so let's get let's get into the business model and I'm going to try to summarize it from my vantage point and then sure. you correct me sure, when sure. I'm wrong. So you got an event like Pogopalooza, there are going to be ticket sales and then maybe associated concessions and or equipment sales that happen at something through that that you guys are actually getting a cut of as opposed to just a, you know a food truck vendor who pulls up and that's right. more or less comped. That's a linear growing phenomenon. As more people come, you get the marginal additional ticket, mm -hmm. marginal additional concession, so on and so forth. But as those audiences grow, uh, from a margin standpoint, your capacity to sell sponsorships, you said Mountain Dew or one right. of these type entities, Red Bull, um, coming in and saying, well, hey, you got 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people there. That is worth X to us or we're mm. willing to pay mm. X for that type of thing. And that's your kind of event-based business model. Then you have a media business where maybe at the low end of the spectrum, it is just brand awareness, general audience building. And then you move into something like YouTube or creators, uh, TikTok's creator fund, where there's a marginal dollar coming in, right. but not necessarily changing the game. Maybe you get, uh, you're able to sell sponsors directly on those channels. But the end point, I would almost point to something like what we saw with Formula One over the last couple 
years where you could potentially have the world's largest streaming platform pay for a documentary, pay for a series of content that's not only a revenue source unto itself, but that same type of brand heightening audience Mm -hmm. gaining type of traction is that really and then the performances kind of seem as that like kind of tertiary like you know we're bootstrapping an agency because we're also trying to build a media business but that's not really maybe the end goal exactly right and in the same way you know i I don't want to downplay them because they are nice but it's like okay i can keep the guys working yeah uh you know they can make not a amazing living but a living doing pogo but ideally the goal is to make that kind of just self-sustained are they Um, able to you're saying make a living like they can do that full-time yeah so we we don't have a ton but we have about five guys who pogo full-time the majority of the revenue or excuse me majority of their income from these different stunt shows and performances and stuff like that and within there you know it's things like two we recently agreed with a deal with the Cleveland Cavaliers where we have a team called the Pogo Leers who's like exclusive entertainment for them and so we're booked for you know several games throughout the season and, and now come you have predictable back. revenue exactly and, yeah. so it's like stuff like that um sometimes it's a little crazy you know sometimes you'll be at a fair in like a podunk town and then the next week you're doing like a Facebook corporate event and it's this kind of crazy <laughs> whiplash right between because, you know, sometimes the fair, it's like, okay, we're their keynote and they'll actually pay us more or not keynote, but I don't know what, what you call the it. The premier. Yeah, kind of exactly. Moment. So that that's definitely weird. And we'd love to stabilize that. But putting that part of the model aside, a couple things slightly different on Pogapalooza. We, at this point, are mostly um, reliant on sponsorship for that. We don't really do tickets just in that. There's not quite the audience demand. There are a couple things I'll, I'll get into where the original model for Pogapalooza as it got bigger was we would attach it to other larger events. So like we did it as um, at like uh, Orange County Fair in like 2011. Um, We've done it as part of Philly's 4th of July. We've done it as part of like a festival in Sweden. We've done it as part of an action sports festival in France. And those went all right. And they were good for selling sponsorships because it's like we have this guaranteed based audience. But in the same way, the effort to really produce it and then not having like a repeatable crowd um, didn't necessarily have the payoff there. So kind of the model we're at now is really basing it in Pittsburgh, trying to build this like audience and following so that, you know, when we have that, then maybe the main event ends up getting ticketed. Uh, But we're able at least consistently with the sponsors who at this point, you know, it's uh, local businesses and then pogo companies. The other side to that is... Last year, I don't know if you're familiar with like ESPN's The Ocho. Um, like I don't know if you saw Dodgeball. Dodgeball so, so based into... on the joke from Dodgeball, ESPN actually launches a day in August called The Ocho Day where they get Got weird it. sports and they kind of just put it on. And the way that model works is you essentially get the free airtime, you produce the episode, but then you have like a couple ad slots. So we were able to say sell those ad slots to sponsors. Which is a lot more attractive because it's like you're not just getting eyeballs in Pittsburgh, you're getting eyeballs on ESPN. Right. Um, And with that, the eventual goal is kind of, okay, if we can get that production really dialed in, we can get it really big in Pittsburgh, selling it almost as like a street league type of tour. Because it's like, okay, we get this really, ideally, well-produced, funky competition, either ESPN or like a Fox Sports 1 or someone else. It's entertaining, it's weird, it's funky, it's exciting for their fans. And then 
you know, we can kind of put it on a tour. It gives them content. It gives us stuff. So for me, like, that's where I'd love to see it kind of go is grow out into a tour. But at this point, it's still trying to get all the elements fully right for that production. And it being only a 10-year-old formalized sport, maybe sure. I'm sure people have been pogoing longer than that, you have this gap still probably in uh, people that may be fans, they may be uh, supporters, they may be positive or regular viewers, yeah. not necessarily yet at the rabid stage. I'm not saying you don't have folks that right. like that, but there's plenty of people yet to kind of cross that last chasm. E- and exactly. so the the important point there that people should understand from a media standpoint is for the longest time, ESPN only had, they didn't have any of the streaming platforms. They only had ESPN 1, 2, U, right. and that was it. And so they had this limited constraint. So it was really the reason it was just football baseball, basketball, a couple of sports was the fact that that was the only stuff that had the mass appeal. But in an age of ESPN plus and streaming, a relatively small but rabid niche audience is meaningfully meaningfully valuable for them. Because if that's enough to get someone to pay for that subscription with enough payers actually makes their business model really exciting. Right. So to me, like I see that as like a, a few year goal of being able to have it off of the Ocho, if you will and its own kind of standalone through some sort of streaming or network there. Um, and I, I think it's possible. I will also just quick plug. I'm not sure when this is going out, but they're actually, we aren't having the event in time this year to have it on the Ocho. It was kind of this, we could have it super early and who knows what's going on with COVID. We can't get all the people here or we have it later, but they are re-airing last year's Ocho uh, August 6th at noon. Uh, so this Friday, kind of a random time, but, um, it it should be a fun watch if, uh, I think it'll stay up on demand for ESPN for a couple weeks afterwards. If you hear this and you really want to see what Pogapalooza looks like, definitely check that out. Um, so that's kind of the trajectory though, with the competition would be right, you know, building it up here and then having it be able to be something that we can tour, uh, with a partner who's actually streaming it and kind of producing it, because I think that is is the right avenue for people who are going to consume it, because I think once you get eyeballs on it, it is pretty exciting and it's interesting. And like any competition, you just got to sell the characters. And once the action's kind of over some baseline, people can buy in, you know. Obviously, it's not going to be the NFL. It's probably not going to be Street League, but, you know, Cornhole Tour is on ESPN2, right? Yeah. What kind of athletes end up coming into a sport like this? Because I'm sure there's some people that grew up with a pogo in their hand their entire lives, right. but a majority of the time it's you know people coming, I would guess, from extreme sports, maybe gymnasts. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say a lot are kids who were interested in extreme sports and kind of experimented across these different ones and like stuck with pogo for some reason. Um, the probably most common story I would say is it was like, okay, they were getting into skating, they were doing some BMX, they found a pogo stick in their uh, garage, and you know we're like, hey, let me try a bar spin on here, a couple tricks, and then are like, I wonder if people do tricks on these. They'll Google, and kind of like you said, like the business itself is like ten years old, but the first pogo palooza was two thousand six, so people were kind of doing tricks, tricks in the early two thousands. And so the current generation, a lot of them, like, Googled and they saw, oh, gosh, this guy's trying to backflip a spring pogo. <laughs> yeah. All this crazy stuff. And then it inspires them creatively to be like, okay, well, let me try and get these tricks. And there's a whole bunch of ideas I have on, on ways we can get more people into the sport, which is a whole nother discussion. But I'd say, yeah, it's generally people with kind of a bend towards, like, action sports uh, or gymnastics. Um, 
I'd say, you know, the mentality, if I can put in three buckets of the people we normally have who get the top level is like one, just love this idea of kind of achievement and checking boxes, if you will. So it's like, I want to know I can do every single trick and every single grind and every single flip. There's the adrenaline junkies who is just like, find me the biggest thing I can jump down. Um, and then there's this kind of funky third group who's very like artistic and kind of in the creative sense of it and see it as sort of like an artistic extension of themselves rather than kind of this big achievement. It's sort of, how do I invent something new? Can I give you a free idea that if sure. I was, if I was either putting these events together or I was like on the fence about watching something would yeah. definitely be compelling. Sure. Some sort of, so you had like the high jump. Why wouldn't there just be like an obstacle race? In terms of like pogo, like what? Let me like let me see someone like ascend a flight of stairs, come down a flight of stairs, hop over stuff, have to like stay underneath something that's yeah. lower. You know, there's no reason. I guess there wouldn't be. I guess the freestyle doesn't fully do that because it's like you it's, use the obstacles as you will, but it's not a race or avoidant. I, I think it's one of those things where these are like the purest discipline that kind of ties to the sport but that being said like there's I, there's yeah. motocross there's snowcross right. skiing has racing like sk skateboarding basically saw the uh, the success of snowcross i don't know what they call it but they have that same type of like racing style right. of skateboarding i think that for like for me i'm not the like extreme sport go to a trick not, not that i'm not into it i've watched the x games but, before but no i totally get it but right. those races it's a very also simple to understand the premise i don't have an appreciation for why two bar spins is harder or easier than whatever the kind of like kick to the side equivalent is that i've seen on motocross like i even watched the motocross stuff and i'm like that seemed harder but i don't really know because i've never done it i've never right. tried it Everyone understands racing no i know I, I think that's a great idea and it, it kind of does go to one thing we've kind of tossed around is like what are auxiliary things besides Pogapalooza that we can do that are competition based that are sticky like that because I think you know the only concern would be maybe just like safety and some of the weird um, stuff with racing and like just having enough space to kind of build out parallel courses yeah but it, to your point I, I think it's a really interesting idea and something that would just be different and kind of easy to pick up and engage with i mean it's it's almost like i like i don't even really think there's like parkour races perhaps for the same reason but all those other races have the exact same look like the skateboard and the snowboard one it's like that same bank turn right. blah 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 the pogo just kind of like angular optionality is fundamentally right. different and that seems like where the the style like you could show me an aesthetic race that is genuinely unlike anything that i've seen before and yet something that I can immediately grasp onto and see and, and also appreciate the like, I know I couldn't do that, which right. is the other thing when you watch LeBron, you watch anyone, it's like, there's no chance I would right. ever be able to do something like that. And that would make it super tangible. Not to say that the other tricks aren't like that. No, no, for sure. I, I think it's an interesting thing you bring up there too, which is kind of cool about Pogo is right. Skateboarding, BMX, snowboarding, skiing, they're all pretty much lateral sports, right? right. Like you're going forward, you know, any kind of vertical drop, you need just like a, a gap or a ramp. Whereas with Pogo, you can go back and forth, but like the natural style is kind of like up and down. And like you say, using slants to kind of adjust your momentum and your movement and stuff like that, um, which I think just kind of adds some really interesting different elements versus other sports because 
you know, going just straight forward is not necessarily the easiest part, but there's so much other stuff that's unlocked because you just have way more hang time and way more potential to go up and down things and kind of use those levels. Yeah. Now that I'm even thinking about it, can you imagine like the, um, Oh, what's it called? Like, is it? It's not Iron Man. What's it called? Where they? It's like the racing Ninja Warrior, Ninja like Wipeout or whatever. Yeah, with the one where they like have the angled boards left to right, and they like the per- people run leg to leg. If right. someone, if I saw someone do that on a pogo stick, that would be bananas. That I don't know if that's be, possible. It, it is. Uh, slanties are tricky, but they're they're a lot of fun. It, it, in some ways, right? A slanty is similar. We call them slanties, but just any slanted surface is similar, kind of to you know a bowl or a pipe in skating, where it's like that's what you use to change your momentum. So like, we generally will use it because it kind of will launch you backwards. So it's like you can bounce into it, and then use it to kind of flip off of or like change the momentum in that way. So it would be possible. It would definitely be hard to do slanty to slanty slanty, but uh, I think some of us could do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. How are you as a as a pogo? Because you're you're like no. partially in the leadership, and and I know from like the frisbee thing, like everyone has some degree right. of connection to it. I am not a, a great pogo. I'm not naturally an athlete. I mean, my old story getting into this is kind of weird and funky, but like being with it, I've gotten very much more into it. And like for me, it's one of the forms of just like exercise I've really connected with like my style is very much not going super high not flipping because I don't like that but a more technical you know stalling on ledges um is kind of my I guess biggest discipline so it's like like, with the foot yeah exactly so like getting the foot pegs and seeing like okay here's like whatever a handrail up here so like jump get onto that doing different tricks in and out of that um is sort of what I like to do and I'm most comfortable with. So it, it's fun, but I'm not, you know, going to flip off something super huge. I think in some ways even uh, just the fact I get scared at that, like bigger stuff is probably what makes me a little bit better at managing or whatever, like having that, I don't know, hey, wait, let's stop and think where yeah. a lot of the guys don't have that, which is, you know, good probably to, what makes to flip good down at... 10 feet. Exactly. So, yeah. but yeah, I'm not... Uh, yeah, I'm not ever featured in the videos too much or whatever. The Going Deep podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at pipercreative.co. So let's take a jump real quick into your path, and then we can aim towards wrapping up. Background in management consulting, yes. leading into uh, basically being the CEO and purveyor of uh, a niche extreme sport. Tell me about that uh, kind of journey. And, and most importantly, the thing I really want to latch onto is what's transferable? Because there's probably basic business best practices that you found, man, this is actually useful. And there's probably other stuff that you're like, this is largely irrelevant right no it's a good question so uh, without getting overly into it so i was like not in high school a pogo or anything like that i went to cmu here in pittsburgh and i was actually in a play with a guy who was one of the founding fathers of pogo so he was one of the original founders of x pogo and while at cmu i was like an econ major but on the side i was the broad essentially because it's d3 they let anyone do sports broadcasting there so i ended up being the broadcaster for like all of cmu sports and pogapalooza was getting a little bigger at that time like 2010 2011 were like the first kind of big crowd facing ones and he was like will you know, we're doing this okay job, but we don't really have anyone who understands like crowd interaction and just kind of basic sports announcing. Um, so they brought me in to co MC with them. And 
I had a great time. I kind of just fell in love with this community and this sport. But I got a job at IBM coming out of school. I pushed my start date essentially as far back as I could with that and actually worked with Expogo for that summer, producing Pogo Palooza then, kind of setting up uh, the NBA circuit we were going to be going into as they were kind of getting into stunt shows. And through my time as a management consultant, we kind of moonlight helping them. I would like work remote. It was like, okay, wrap up my client call. And it's like, I'm going to go announce a halftime show after that. And like, hey, yeah, sorry, I have to go. Um, And kind of stayed tied in. Long story short, the guy who was in charge of Expogo needed to leave. There was kind of a lot of just internal turmoil over a lot of things. Uh, there weren't a lot of people in the community kind of with this business background who got the sport and it was kind of consensus like, hey, let's give Will a shot at um, kind of taking over and steering things. So that was back in 2018. I kind of t- took over full time and have been running with. And, you know, basically every commissioner of a league, yeah. candidly, it, it, you know, you can say maybe Goodell is evaluated through player safety. Uh, maybe Adam Silver is evaluated through the happiness of the stars in the right. league. But the reality is, is that their job is to grow the revenue pie. Right. S- safe to say that you're effectively evaluated, amongst other things, on your capacity to do that. Yes, I, I would definitely say. The other thing that I think because we're so small is still part of the evaluation is just the athlete morale. Because at this point, the revenue pie is so small. Like there are people who are able to do it, you know, full time and and live off of it. But, and this was a problem, honestly, when I came in, if the athletes aren't super happy or bought in or kind of pushing together on a mission to make this thing grow and work, it's not going to happen. And so making sure we really have their buy-in and their direction and their cooperation in terms of where do we want this to go? What do they see success as? What do we see success as? Um, you know, their labor is so important. It's not like, you know, if, um, you know, Tom Brady gets upset or whatever and quits the NFL, there's a hundred other people who want to be a quarterback. Like if the two top pogoers get frustrated by this sport, there's not a lot of people in the wings, you know, at that level. So, you know, I see that as a very important part of my role but at the end of the day we're not going to stay in business if we aren't making money and you know growing the sport will necessarily grow revenue and stuff like that gotcha so a little more nba than nfl yes i i I would say for sure at this point um to answer your question too about some of the transferable skills uh if you will from management consulting you know i think one thing that was really emphasized for me in my practice was this idea of business as storytelling in a lot of ways, right? Like any time you're trying to communicate something, even if it's as simple as with numbers, my background's a little more in data, what is the actual story behind it? Because that's what's going to get your clients convinced. And I think that very much translates to a pogo, you know, show or a competition or anything, especially when someone doesn't really know us, you need to very quickly get them a story and have them have an arc. Um, the notion of optimization, right? A lot of what we're doing, especially in the data side of consulting is like, okay, revenue is going to get cut or excuse me, not revenue, but you know, our budget's going to get cut. Something's going to get changed. How do we optimize with the resources that we have? That's in any business, but even in like designing a stunt show, it's like, okay, we have a library of a hundred tricks. We have six minutes at an NBA halftime. How do we optimize what we're going to use to make them leave and be like, Pogo's cool. And I want to keep caring about it. Yeah. Interesting. 
Well, um, I'm excited to see you guys continue to grow. Uh, before Appreciate we it. ask our standard last two questions, anything else that you were hoping to share today, today that I just didn't give you the chance um, to? Trying to think. I think I think we got through most of it. Just one thing I didn't touch on a ton. You had asked about um, kind of the media business model, and I think you mostly identified it correctly. The only thing I would add that's kind of interesting is we do work with. I don't know if you know Whistle Sports. I've heard of them. I'm, yeah, I can't place they that. are very much in kind of this viral place if you will but they have some interesting streaming placements with like amazon prime roku and so they actually license some of the longer form stuff we produce like we do something called a pogo adventure which is like a road trip type of video where we go around for a month in pogo and they actually put that on their platform so if like you're on roku tv sometimes it'll be like check out the pogo adventure or pogo blues the highlights so, so they're almost more like a distributor yeah in that exactly sense. so that even the stuff on YouTube that's not necessarily hitting as much, we're actually making, again, not a ton, but some money and solid money and getting an audience through the distribution with them because they have these connections and they know, you know, the level of the, the quality and, and stuff like that. So um, just that was one thing that went unanswered, but I think we, we covered a, a good bit. Cool. Well, I want to make sure that everyone can follow along. And if they want to head over to Pogo Palooza or see some of the highlights that you guys have made, we are going to link um, all of it in the show notes where the digital coordinates where you can send people towards. Yeah, sure thing. So we uh, are at XPogo on pretty much every platform. We don't do too much Twitter, but Instagram, TikTok, as I was mentioning, are, are real big for us. YouTube at XPogo. Uh, so lots of cool content there. Um, Pogo Palooza is going to be here in Pittsburgh. Uh, August 20th through 22nd. The 20th, it's going to be in Market Square. That's where High Jump's going to take place. Then the 21st, 22nd is at our headquarters in Wilkinsburg, where we have a Pogo Park built out. Um, hours, information, all that, if you just go to pogopalooza.com, is going to be right there. It's free. Uh, the other thing I'd plug is if you are family, you have kids, uh, there's free Pogo sticks that you can use there. So you can actually go and get coached and try the different sizes. Or if you're an adult, you can try the extreme ones. What's the baseline age for a kid? to get um, on a pogo stick i would say probably six or seven like a real one they make these kind of goofy ones for like three-year-olds that are essentially it's just a piece it's kind of genius it's like a piece of foam with just like a rubber handle on the top so you are just jumping up and down but it feels like you're pogoing okay. alongside your sibling or whatever but i'd say probably six or seven is kind of the baseline pogo and then it all evolves from there Gotcha. Cool. We're going to link that all in the show notes, goingdeeptherein.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. Makes sense that you guys aren't as much on Twitter because it's a super visual thing. For sure. Um, definitely have enjoyed the highlights of what I've seen so far. I encourage everyone to do so. Before we let you go, though, Will, want to give you the mic one final time to issue an actual personal challenge to the audience. Yeah, for sure. I, I think one of the things that really drew me into Pogo, not growing up super passionately about it, is the fact it's this really kind of niche community dedicated to a passion. And like for me, that's what drew me into it and what's drawn me to a lot of my interests in life. I know we talked a little bit about Ultimate Frisbee beforehand, but like having witnessed that community um, and how dedicated these people are when there's not huge awareness. Uh, and I think you can learn a whole lot about a lot of things kind of seeking out and looking for these really niche small groups that are dedicated to these crafts, regardless of kind of the outside viewership. So, you know, I would say there's 
lots of ways you can kind of Google around and find, but just try and look out there for something new and, you know, wonder, is there an extreme version of, or is there a professional version of something that may have been a hobby or whatever when you were younger? And you'll probably find there's an interesting community and interesting stories of people around it. And, and to me, I think that's what's engaging and exciting about it. And kind of the beauty of the internet too, that you can find those right, communities. Exactly. Do you think, do you think that there would be ex pogo if there wasn't the same type of internet infrastructure no and i'll try and keep this brief but you know i could give a whole ted talk on how ex pogo is born fully of the internet where a lot of these kids who started out doing the extreme pogo it was one or two people in their neighborhood and they found it in their garage but at this point they got on message boards and they saw oh there's this person in florida and this guy in ohio and this guy in london doing it and they all got connected there but the first pogo palooza was in nebraska in 2006 and I think pretty much everyone traveled in from a different state. And it was the first per time these people ever met in person. Wow. And, you know, kind of through all the other stuff, like now when kids in, get into the sport, they know us. But we find them on Instagram and they find us, you know, or they'll see a viral video. And so much of the reason this exists is just because of the Internet connecting people because it was so so niche and still is that it's the only real way we've ever been able to connect. Wow. Beautiful. That's what we're all about here on the show. Um, learning new sports and uh, new business models. Will, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, yeah, man. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We just went deep with Will Weiner. Hoping out there has a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Will. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe and head on over to the YouTube channel where we are over 5,000 subscribers. We have 5 x in just one year and still have many months remaining in 2021 as we aim towards our goal of 10,000 subs. If you head over there, you can always see video of these podcasts that we produce in addition to our in addition to our thrice weekly business show, The Piper Rundown, where we break down the world's biggest business transactions. Regardless of where you listen to or watch us, I appreciate your attention, take it very seriously, and have a bunch of great podcasts coming down the pipe, including some that are pre-recorded because I will be taking a brief paternity leave in late August, early September, as Ashley and I expect our first kid. Hope you are all, hope you are all well out there, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.